0: Father, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for your word, which is timeless and true, and Lord, this morning as we look to Romans again, Father, pray that you would enlighten it by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each person here by the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we worship you, in your name, amen. So we're on a series in Romans, Um, last week, this week, next week, uh, we're looking at Romans 9, 10, and 11, kind of taking it uh, in... in, um, kind of going through it with different lenses. In Romans 12, Paul makes a pretty distinct kind of turn. Um, Paul has a, a kind of a distinct style. or In his letters, Paul typically begins his letters really by talking about our identity in Jesus Christ. What, what does that look like? You know, talking about Jesus. And then he really saves the kind of the application and how you live that out Towards the end of the, the letter right so I mean it, it, he begins with our personal spirituality and then afterwards how do you how do you live that out and so in Romans 12 that's where he, he kind of makes the the hard shift and so we go kind of from all these ideas to suddenly in Romans 12 he's just gonna just bullet point list all kinds of ways to just kind of what is godly living look like so that's coming up that's uh, a Romans 12 but Today and next week, we're going to be in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Um, little little story for you. So early in my days uh, in Abbotsford, I lived in Abbotsford, British Columbia for a while. Uh, I signed up for the, the seminary. There was a seminary up the road. Uh, it was, it's on the campus of uh, Trinity Western University. It's called ACT Seminaries, Associated Canadian Theological Seminaries. And it's kind of interesting because uh, at the time, uh, it was actually six seminaries working together. I think maybe now it's four or five. But same idea, you have multiple seminaries working together. And so you take one class from the MB guy and one class from the Baptist guy and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I loved it. It was great. So one of the classes was a preaching class. And good class, really enjoyed it, learned some good stuff. And um, for some reason we got split up in, into groups. And uh so we were in this group and we were supposed to have some kind of theme or we were supposed to all preach from the same book or something, I don't know. And someone's like, Well, let's preach from Romans and I didn't know any better. So I was like, Sure, Romans, how hard could that be? Yeah, whatever. Romans. It's dumb. And um so so we agreed to preach from Romans and so we're all gonna to do something. And so I and at the same time i'm working with track and and at track we you know We would do some teaching on hearing god's voice and journaling and listening and that kind of thing I thought well i'll go do some journaling and i'll you know listen You know, maybe maybe i'll find out what i'm supposed to so I do this And uh, and nine fifteen comes to mind Okay, doesn't really go away. I thought well i'll check that out, right? So I flipped to romans nine fifteen. um uh, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I thought, that's cute, you know. And in the NIV, you got to know this. See, in the NIV, it's kind of like even indented a little bit differently, right? I mean, it stand. in the ESV, it just kind of blends in. But the NIV, it's indented. And I thought, oh, it must be important, right? And so, you know, I kind of look over, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, so 9.15, I'm going to do 9.15. Well, then I look into it a little bit more. Lord have mercy, okay? Um, In in Christian circles, there's a couple kind of hotly debated items. One of them is predestination, okay? Uh, How much does God control our life? Does He control it a little bit? Does He control it a lot? Uh, How much sort of influence does He exert over us, right? Little, none, total, right? Does He influence us so completely? that we really have no choice in, in, in what we do, right? Another debate within Christian circles is what do we do with the nation-state of Israel today, right? I mean, Israel and J- the Jews, like, they're the main people of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the focus really shifts to the church, right? And, and today, really, most Jews would reject Jesus, so what, what should we do? Romans 9.15 literally lands in the middle of both of those. Like, you could not find a verse that is more of a lightning rod for, like, centuries-old debate on on what to do with this stuff. Um, I don't know if you remember the movie Goonies, uh, kind of an an older one, but early on, like, they're in the cave, and, like, the one kid finds the string in the dirt, right, And, and he follows the string over to the wall, and then he pulls on it, and then giant boulders fall from the ceiling and try to kill them. That's kind of what it felt like for me, all right? Oh, isn't this a cute little string? And then we're running for our lives. Um, Fortunately, had time to prepare. uh, Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 multiple times. Read Romans uh, several times and commentaries and and just had, had to put a lot of work into it. And I would say this, that while I'm still learning to understand the fullness of it, I now know where I stand on these topics. Um, and, and by God's grace, those are actually now comfortable topics for me today. Uh, and it has nothing to do with, with what I see in the world around us, because that is always changes, although I do see clues in the world around us. talk about that here in a little bit. But just everything to do with, with what I find in Romans 9, 10, 11. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today. If you like to mark in your Bible, I would invite you to open up and grab a, a pen or a pencil, and we're just going to be going through a, a lot of verse. Uh, verses, but let's start with with kind of this this lightning rod of a verse, Romans uh, nine fifteen. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy uh, on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Okay, background. Background is always a little bit helpful. What what's the background on this verse? What what is going on? Paul is actually quoting. From the Old Testament He's going to interweave two stories together We'll show you that in just a minute But this is actually a quote From the Old Testament Exodus 33 of 19 Okay, so Moses has been dialoguing with God um, Moses had gone up to Moses had gone up to the mountain to visit with God, right? But he's gone for a long time Abraham or Aaron is left alone with the people They start to get nervous They start to get antsy Aaron then takes all of their gold, builds a golden calf. They, they worship it. It's just, it's a mess. I mean, there's worshiping and drinking and bad things going on. No one's wearing a face mask right. Like, just lots of bad behavior down there. Moses comes down. He is mad. God is absolutely furious. God says he's, he's going to destroy everyone. Uh, Moses intercedes for the people for a really long time. They kind of work things out. It's all good. After that, Moses says to God, now show me your glory, which is a pretty bold request. I'm not sure how he kind of jumped to that, but he says, now show me your glory. And God tells him this. He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And in essence, God is telling Moses, you didn't earn this. You did not earn this. You could never earn this. I'm doing this because I want to, and for no other reason. Okay? Fair enough. So back to Romans. Romans 9. Paul is telling two stories. The first is a contrast of Moses' And Pharaoh, God had mercy on Pharaoh, or on mercy on Moses, but God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And the purpose in hardening Pharaoh's heart, uh, and really and, and showing mercy to Moses, was to bring Israel out of Egypt in such a way that it was undeniably God. Right? If Pharaoh, think about this. If Pharaoh had agreed to let the Israelites go after, like, one of the first plagues, right? Like, whatever it was, gnats or frogs or something like that. You know, if it had been early on, then people would have just attributed it to, you know, Pharaoh was very polite or Moses was a great spokesman or or, or that kind of thing, right? Pharaoh had to completely resist to the end so that Egypt could be completely broken, and that's why why he had to be hardened so that the exodus of Israel was undeniably, unquestionably God. So that need to happen. So you've got Moses and Pharaoh. One's a recipient of mercy. One's a recipient of, of wrath. That's story one. Second story that Paul is interweaving here is the Israelites and the Gentiles. That's you and I, or pretty much just the rest of the world is not uh, an Israelite. That story spread throughout Romans uh, 91011 to understand Israel really as kind of almost the favored people of God in the Old Testament to understand the church as I would d- I mean there's better ways to say it but kind of the favored uh, group in the New Testament um, let me tell you another story okay fictitious story I made this story up All right Little League baseball coach um, beginning of the season. He's he's wanting to get to know the players and and you know kind of befriend them and that kind of thing And just and he's a nice coach. He's a good coach. So he decides i'm gonna take all the players out for ice cream, okay? Well, the coach has a friend. We'll call him Bob, right? And he likes bob. He appreciates bob. He and bob are really good friends Just really appreciates just bob. I mean really really loves him as, as as a good guy and so out of his just compassion and mercy and really as a favor to Bob, he's going to offer Bob's kid the ice cream first. Right? So they go down to the whatever, the ice cream stand and coach is like, hey kid, here, have some ice cream. And Bob's kid is no. Some good ice cream. Have some ice cream. No. It's like, just take like, there's a line, like, please just take the ice no. I I'm going to spank you. you take this ice cream. No. Fine. You're holding up the line. I offered you the ice cream first as a favor to your father, but you're being obnoxious, argumentative, disobedient, and so now you go to the back of the line for ice cream, and you will get your ice cream last while I give it to everyone else first. Okay, I made that story up. But let me read you some verses. Romans 10, 19. I will make you, talking about Israel, envious by those who are not a nation. That's the Gentiles. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Romans 10, 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long... I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate, or argumentative, people. Romans eleven eleven. Again, I ask, did they, Israel, stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Romans eleven fifteen for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead romans 11:19 but you will say then branches referring to israel part of israel were broken off so that i a gentile could be grafted in romans 11:25 this one's important israel has experienced a hardening in part or a partial hardening, depending on on your translation, a partial hardening until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Another verse. Uh, Romans 11, 28 to 29. This one's also very important. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, so that's Israel, are enemies on your account. Right? In general, Israel is, is not ...accepting the gospel. But, as far as the election is concerned... ...they are loved... ...on account of the patriarchs. So the forefathers, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. For God's gifts and his call... ...are irrevocable. So Paul uses the story of Moses and Pharaoh. One received mercy... ...one experienced a partial hardening so that God could fulfill his purpose and make known to the world that what was happening was undeniably the act of God, Paul is using that story as a stepping stone or to explain a second story about the current state of Israel today. Israel was offered mercy and salvation first. That was the ice cream for our slower listeners. But they rejected it And so God has passed that opportunity on to the Gentiles. And so the nation of Israel has experienced a partial hardening, and that is an an important word, partial hardening. It's not a full, it's not a complete, it's a partial hardening, so that the fullness of salvation and mercy and grace and and truth and love uh, will not be poured out on them until the entire Gentile people group has been given a chance to hear and receive the gospel. Romans 11.25, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Israel got moved to the back of the line when it comes to the gospel. Two stories interweaving, explaining each other. Moses receives grace. Pharaoh is hardened. Gentiles receive grace. Israel is now the one being hardened. And in the middle of all of this, you have God saying, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. There you have it. Let me pause and interject something else here. Because this is actually going to explain some other stuff um, in in regards to Jesus' ministry, which at times is kind of confusing. Uh, In Matthew 13, 10. Because Jesus sometimes says some stuff where you're like, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense. Because it almost sounds like you don't want people to, to repent. Matthew 13.10 is, is one of those times. The disciples came to him, Jesus. Uh, why do you speak to them in parables? And he, Jesus, answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, presumably Israelite leaders, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, to the, uh, and he will have an abundance from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. Verse 13, this is why I speak in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says this. Then he quotes Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes have Closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them because it's that last part that's kind of odd because it almost reads as if God does not want them to hear does not want them to see does not want them to understand and really almost even does not want them to repent because like that doesn't make sense like does he want everyone to repent? yes But Israel has been given opportunity after opportunity, and they rejected God. And so God put them at the back of the line for ice cream. There was a partial hardening that took place, and that is what Jesus is referring to here. The very last thing that we read in in the book of Acts, Paul is uh, in Rome. He's been imprisoned. Um, And I, you know what, I won't read it to you, but this exact same passage gets quoted at the end of Acts. Paul cites this this phrase from Isaiah, uh, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaimed the kingdom of God, Teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and with hindrance. Book of Acts ends. The last thing we read in the book of Acts is this reference to Israel experiencing a partial hardening while the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. So, what do you do with all this, right? One of the big questions is whether or not God still has plans for uh, the nation of, of Israel today. And there is a, and I'll just preface it by saying I would say an incorrect, but there is an incorrect theological viewpoint that says the church replaced Israel. Um, That all the covenants, all the promises, all the attention, all the favor, right, all of that left Israel permanently, and all of it shifted to the church. And so any covenant or promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, the Israelites in the Old Testament, all of that transplanted to the church. And this is called replacement theory. Or supersessionism um, I think there's a couple other variations of it But in response to that I would just go back to Romans 11.25 Israel has experienced a hardening in part Until the full number of Gentiles has come in But also Romans 11.28.29 As far as election is concerned They are loved on account of the patriarchs For that God's gifts and call are irrevocable and I would say that those two verses, and there are others, but really those two tell us that replacement theology would be incorrect. Right? God still has plans for the nation of Israel. The fullness of that—I mean, that's—I mean, now we're getting into try to unpack prophecy, and we're not. I'm not doing that today. Um, other than just say God still has some kind of plan for Israel. The church is the church remains distinct from Israel. Um, The the curses and and the blessings that pertain to Israel in the Old Testament They pertain to Israel That's not the church That's a separate entity And while Israel has been temporarily set aside To allow for the full number of Gentiles to come in A time is coming when it's going to be Israel's turn And there's some interesting speculation on on what that will will look like So there there are verses that, that tell us that God still has plans uh, for the state of Israel. It is also very fascinating to me, though, if you look at world events and if you look at, at activity around Israel, they are so peculiar and so unusual and, and in some cases so miraculous that it has to suggest to us that, that God is still involved with them as a nation in some capacity. Now, they are a secular society I mean, let's keep that in mind But there's just There's some unusual things about Israel um, The first is simply that Israel exists Okay uh, 931 BC Nation of Israel splits into two countries Ten of them uh, Form the northern part of Israel they, they, The northern tribes um, They're in 722 They're captured They're hauled away into captivity We don't really hear from them Again ...and they're referred to as the Lost Tribes of Israel. All right, Bottom two tribes, they form up. Then in 568, they're captured, they're hauled away. But then eventually some of them are allowed to come back. That's the book of Ezra, that's the book of Nehemiah. They rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and that's the world that that Jesus lives in. But for the most part, the Jews just remain scattered all over the world. That piece of land, what we know as Israel today, that piece of land throughout the centuries is ruled and controlled by the Greeks and the Romans and the Arabs and the Fatimids, and I don't know who that is, and the Turks and the Crusaders and the Egyptians and the Mameluks and the is- Islamists and others and that kind of thing, right? I mean, it just keeps changing hands. The people are scattered all over the world. Then in 1948, Israel becomes a nation again. The Israelites have been a scattered people group for over 2,000 years. And they kept their identity... They kept their language. They kept their customs. They, like, that is nothing short of miraculous. I'm a few generations out from Germany and Russia. I do not speak German. I do not speak Russian. I learned a few phrases in high school. I can tell you I'm sorry. I can tell you my umbrella's are broken. That's about the extent of it. I'm a few centuries removed from Scotland and Ireland. I do not speak Gaelic. I do not drink Guinness. Like, these are just... Like, that's not part of my life anymore. To keep your identity for 2,000 years all over the world as a scattered people group is nothing short of miraculous. So that's, that's kind of oddity number one, where you just look at that from the worldly perspective and you go, that's unusual. Maybe we should take note of that. May 14, 1948... Israel becomes a nation. Technically, on May 14, at midnight, the Arab League, Egypt, Transjordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq declare war on Israel. And then the 1948 Arab Israeli War lasts about a month. Somehow, this country that is literally a day old somehow manages to fend off those five countries and survive. All right? I haven't looked into that a whole lot. But again, I go, that's unusual. Isn't that interesting? Since 1951, every home and every building in Israel is required to have a bomb shelter or a safe room. Think about that. Every, I mean, 1951, right? Like, so pretty much every building in Israel is required to have a, uh, a, a bomb shelter or a safe room. And I don't know if you've seen the front doors that they do in Israel. Like, our front doors, like, we have, like, the little deadbolt, you know, it's so cute, Right? They do a four-way lock where there are pins that go up and down and then left and right and over by, like, where the door handle is, depending on the model you get. There's literally three or eight deadbolts that stick in on an all-steel construction door. There's um, communities near the the Gaza Strip um, have been so targeted by constant rocket attacks that in May 2008, the government built 125 Fortified bus stops, or sorry, 125. They built 120 bomb-proof bus stops. They've and in and in January of 2009, all the schools were retrofitted to be fortified against rockets. I find that interesting. Um, they, and this, it's this one particular community, this town, S D E R O T, Siderot, right? They build a reinforced children's recreation center so that they they have a rocket-proof place for the children to play. And they also have missile-protected playground where it's concrete tunnels, but they're uh, painted to look like caterpillars, right? Because that community is so close to Gaza Strip that when the sirens go off for missiles, you have 15 seconds to find shelter. Now, Jerusalem, you get 90 seconds. So you have a little bit of time to maybe finish your coffee or your conversation and then run. But in this community, you have 15 seconds. And one report estimated that 90% of the kids are suffering from PTSD because of a lifetime of sirens run and hide 15 seconds to decide whether or not you live and die. United Nations has this weird obsession, like weird obsession, with With Israel. Um, so Israel's about the size of New Jersey, which I haven't been to New Jersey, and I have no ambitions to go, but I've seen it on the map. It's very small. Um, Israel's about the size of New Jersey. It only has about 8 million people, very small country. U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley said that despite the 500 General Assembly resolutions condemning Israel, not one has ever condemned Hamas. Um, all kinds, okay, Uh, the council did not cri- criticize Hezbollah for attacking Israel Kidnapping its soldiers uh, Indiscriminately firing missiles at Israel Using Lebanese civilians as shields But it did condemn Israel And these are all like quotes from like Wikipedia and other places um, Agenda 7 mandates that every United Nations Human Rights Council session Israel's record of human rights must be debated No other country in the world has a yearly reoccurring agenda that's dedicated to it Other countries like Cuba, Myanmar, North Korea are not criticized by by the council. And even during the Syrian Civil War, I don't remember if that, I mean, that was a horrible time and and the government just slaughtered its own people. During that time, the UN passed 223 resolutions condemning Israel, but then eight for, for Syria. And it's kind of one of those things where you're just like, what is up with this weird obsession from the UN against Israel? Like, it's just... It's very odd, right? I am not saying that Israel is innocent of wrongdoing. They're a secular society. I'm sure they've done a lot of bad stuff, right? That's not the issue. But when I look at the miracles involving Israel, and when I look at the disproportionate amount of attention, and dare I even say hate, from a secular world, for me, that is simply a world confirmation of what I'm reading in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that for some reason God still has plans for for the country of Israel, for the people group. So, all right, so what do we do with all this? Okay, for starters, just remembering that the church did not replace Israel. God has a purpose and agenda for the church. God has a purpose and agenda for Israel. Um, the church really doesn't have a relationship to the, the cursing and the blessings. They're outlined in in Israel. Covenants, promises, warnings of the Mosaic Covenant. That's Israel. It remains that way. Because the church did not replace Israel, that has consequences, and and that being how we treat Israel matters. And and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Very complex. It is a secular nation. They do good things. They do bad things. But Genesis 12, 3... God does give this promise to Israel. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. uh, And in you, all the families of the earth are blessed. If you have NIV, it reads, those who curse you, I will curse. But in the Hebrew, it's two different words. Curse and curse are two different words. In the Hebrew, it's actually the one who speaks little or belittles you. I will do physical harm, right? So how we treat Israel, how our nation treats Israel... Has consequences. I'm not going to go into detail beyond that, or try to unpack that. Other than just say, based on Genesis and Scripture, there there are consequences. Right? When it comes to election time, like take note: U.S. Israel election uh, relations are always part of the election. Sometimes it's tucked away, but it's always there. So look at that and say, you know, does this person have a viewpoint that aligns uh, with Scripture? Trump did some amazing things for our relationship with Israel, for which I'm very thankful. Mike Huckabee, that guy used to be a pastor, I think he has visited Israel like 30, 35 years in a row. It's a lot. I mean, I don't know if he's got an apartment over there or what, but he just goes over there a lot. Also, Israel has experienced a partial hardening when it comes to the gospel. What this means is that any kind of evangelistic efforts will be unusually difficult, but not impossible. Um, Steve Lytle, who I I have sometimes referenced, sometimes by name, sometimes not, um, he is a Messianic Jew. He is a a Jew who follows Jesus. Remarkable story. For years, he worked behind the Iron Curtain visiting synagogues and telling them to get ready, saying that the Iron Curtain was going to open and then um, there's going to be opportunity to, to travel to the homeland, to Israel. He did amazing miracle things with arranging Ships and planes and all different kinds of stuff, all paid for by, by donors uh, to bring um, Jews out of Russia down into Israel. Kind of the doors open for a season and they close. He still has the best stories I've ever heard, and I believe all of them, even the crazy ones. Um, but I asked him once about this passage, and he had a great line. And he said, God will never reject the penitent heart. God will never reject the penitent heart. Even in a case where you've got this partial hardening, God will never reject a penitent heart. God applied a partial hardening, but not a complete hardening. Right? For the soul that yearns for God, yearns for freedom, yearns for truth, God will always, always respond to that with generous and open arms. Evangelism amongst Jewish people will be difficult, but it is not impossible. Um, and then lastly, Romans 11 does give us some specific advice on, on, on how to handle all of this. Romans 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches, referring to Israel, were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, referring to Gentiles, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant. Towards the branches, right? So towards Israel. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. I'm pretty sure Jesus is the root here. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. Fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So the takeaways is not to become arrogant towards Jewish people or or to the nation of Israel. True, they mostly do not Follow Jesus um, But their redemption is coming So don't don't get arrogant with them According to Romans 9, 10, 11 The nation of Israel today uh, Resisted the gospel of Jesus But part of that Is that gave you and I A chance to hear the gospel And the fullness and un- of why And how I'm still learning But in some capacity They suffered and now we are blessed And so we don't ever want to take that for granted Stand fast in faith. Faith in Christ is what saved you in the first place. Hang on to that. Christ is our everything. And then Paul even tells us to fear and to fear the severity of God. Um, Don't mess around with God. If if he is capable of doing that to the Israelites, he is certainly capable of doing the same to you and I. Whatever that means, because there's that whole root analogy. Um, and branch analogy. And lastly, I would just say, I think that knowing is half the battle. Understanding that, that Israel does still have a place in God's heart, that he still has plans for Israel, um, recognizing that it is a secular society, but but knowing that how we treat them has consequences. I think just knowing that and, and recognizing that um, is, is a large part of it. They are not without sin. Certainly have committed wrongs. Romans 11 28 29 as far as the gospel is concerned they are enemies on your account But as far as election is concerned They are loved on account of the patriarchs for god's gifts and his call are irrevocable Amen, let's pray Heavenly father. This is uh some complex stuff to wade through and and uh, stuff that That honestly we really don't deal with uh, a whole lot and at times can feel very distant from us. We are a small church in the middle of nebraska we really don't deal with the nation of israel lord but as we have explored your word as we have explored romans this has come to the forefront and so we want to know we want we want to understand we want to obey and we want to live accordingly and so lord for for each of us i pray that you would uh, continue to illuminate how we can live this out and express this and we do thank you for the truth of your word and lord we we do thank you that all of this does just draw us back that your word is faithful like we talked about last week your word is faithful it, it is faithful to the israelites and it is faithful to us and that we can trust you and that we can trust your word and so lord we want to live faithful lives lord we want to honor you we want to love you we want to obey you we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and and see it expand amongst our families and amongst our community and and amongst our neighborhood, that you will be glorified and that people would hear the wonderful message of hope that we have in you, a living hope. We love you and we worship you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.